This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode 145 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, I wish your normal host, Brad Rowland, and on today's episode, it will actually not be the sound of my voice, as you probably already figured out, because this is landing before the intro music. Uh, this will be a podcast taken over by Eric Cole, the great Eric Cole of Talking Chop, as he will be uh, hosting a podcast interview with the great JJ Cooper of Baseball America. I appreciate everyone checking out the podcast. As always, please subscribe to the show, do all that all that fun stuff, but uh, after the intro music hits, you'll come back and be in the capable hands of Eric and JJ, and I will be back on the next episode, so stay tuned for that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Talking Chop Podcast. I am not Brad Rollins. My name is Eric Holt. And you may recognize me from my work over at Talking Chop, where I've been the deputy site manager for the past season, and I've been the minor league editor for quite some time. Brad is normally in charge at the helm here as the main host of the Talking Chop podcast. However, I have basically commandeered the podcast for this week. Brad had some plans tonight; otherwise, he would have been here with our special guest tonight. But he couldn't come. He couldn't come tonight, so it's just going to be me and one of the smartest guys that you will meet in the prospect sphere. Uh, All round great guy. And he's had a lot of really great content coming out recently. Baseball America's J.J. Cooper is joining me tonight. J.J., how are you, my friend? Good. How are you doing, Eric? I'm doing well. Uh, it's kind of a weird off-season to be a Braves fan because as long as I've been writing about the Braves, it's been kind of like rebuild mode or heading into rebuild mode. Uh, so having a team that's buying and you know actually acquiring pieces, it's a little bit different, especially for a guy who loves prospects as much as I do. Yes, this is going to be a... Uh... Uh, a pretty weird and wild next few years for you because this is definitely a team that's not in acquisition mode anymore. This is a team that spend that that really should be spending prospect capital and not just uh, acquiring it. Yeah, that's a painful prospect for me, JJ. I'm not, I mean, I kind of, I mean, I know it happens to everybody that you kind of fall in love with certain guys, but I, th- we're kind of getting to the point where the guys that I first started covering in my. Uh, first start covering in minor league baseball, like, at least extensively, are the ones that are like in AAA and kind of breaking into the majors now. So it's kind of like the the prospect of losing any of them is a painful one for me. Uh, I don't know how you've done it, you know, for as long as you've covered prospects, guys that you've really liked that, you know, have either haven't panned out or, you know, moved on. The, the frightening the frightening thing for me is, is I'm now covering sons of uh, prospects I covered. So, I mean, legitimately. So do, do, Now, there are there any Hall of Famers? That you have have had a hand in writing at all about, or um, uh, well, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think because no, because I, I covered Todd Helton in college, but Todd Helton's not in the Hall of Fame. So, and then Andrew's not, and um, you should I mean, you should be. I mean, I've covered. I mean, you know, <laughs> like I mean, I I'm old. I mean, like I covered Gary Sheffield when he was in San Diego doing stuff for the Atlanta. Uh, Journal Constitution, like the early 90s. But as far as like prospects I really covered, no, I don't think there's, I mean, Andrew, Andrew Jones, Raphael for call. 
Um, I mean, we got we guys that are eligible that just haven't gotten in yet. Yeah. Okay. You know, so Jimmy Rollins, um, you know, guys like that. But and and then really, I mean, I didn't start at Baseball America till 2002. So, you know, Joe Maurer and guys like that will be the first wave of possible Hall of Famers that I covered at Baseball America. But we're really right now the last guys who were in the majors. Beltre retiring hurts. Like Bartolo is giving me hope that there's a guy. You know, you go through the stages where it's like, <laughs> okay, wait a second. There are guys in the majors who are younger than me. Then you go through the stage where it's like, wait a second. Most everyone in the majors is younger than me. Then you go through the stage where you realize that everyone in the majors is younger than you. And then, you know, uh, again, like covering Vlad Guerrero, Vlad Guerrero Sr. with an Albany Polecats in 95 and now covering Vlad Guerrero Jr. and covering Fernando Tatis Jr. having covered him when he was in the Saudi League and all that. It's like, okay, this is this is getting a little nuts. I mean, but it's, it's still it's, fun. Well, yeah, it's, and it's a lot of fun to kind of see that sort of progress. Like, I mean, doing, you know, being able to cover Vladdy Sr. and Vladdy Jr., they're very different, but also very the same in a lot of ways. So it's kind of it's kind of cool to kind of see that generation to generation sort of thing happen. Oh, oh Vlad, Vlad Senior, that is a uh, yeah. A there you go. Famer. There you go. That is that is there a Hall of Famer. Yeah. yeah. I, I yep. um, all right. So anyway, us geeking out about you know all the prospects that we've kind of covered and my small fraction compared to JJ's. Um, I wanted to talk to you. So Baseball America released the top ten. Uh, Braves mm-hmm. prospect lists, uh, kind of in advance of the pro- prospect handbook coming out, as well as you know top 30 lists and all that stuff that will get released separately on the site. And you know, obviously, we're going to make sure that we that folks go to that site. We're going to make sure that's linked uh, on the Talking Shop post, as well as in the various other formats we we post this podcast on. But what is the process that you guys go through when you make organizational lists? Is it a process that like you make your top 100 list and it kind of filters down from there, or do you kind of make the organizational list first and then take those names and kind of make your top 100s, or is it a completely different, like separate thing? I wish in an ideal world we'd make the hundreds and then make our lists. We'll okay. never be able to do that. I wish we could, but the reality of it is, is that so. You know, and again, it's weird because it's kind of a continual process. I mean, there's not a point where I, you know, I guess the point where I file the prospect handbook, the Braves top 30, and we finish the top 100, and then it's like, okay, now we shift into gathering from next year's, you know, well, you know, content. But, you know, it's kind of a continual process. So you're gathering information all year. But the reality of it is, is that when you're doing a top 30, like I'm doing the Braves top 30. I'm going to try to talk to as many pro scouts from other teams who saw the Braves as I can. I'm going to talk to ideally at least uh, three to five internal sources with the Braves. So you get kind of some of that insight from inside. You get a viewpoint from outside. Obviously, guys that I've gotten to see myself, you know, plays, you know, plays a part in that as well. Guys, guys, other guys in the office have seen plays a part. All that goes into it. But it really is, we're trying to kind of assemble all that information and then kind of line it up. And so how that happens is, is you know, we've got to do top 30s for all 30 organizations. We will have them all done by essentially December 21st this year. Well, at that point, that's when we can start really putting together the 100, because at that point, we have gathered all of our information for every team. And 
just by the, the matter of time, right. we can't have all of our information gathered for all 30 teams, all 30 organizations to put together 100 first. And again, I wish we could, because one of the things that happens, and we get questions about it every year, but it's unavoidable, is, is that there are going to be guys, when we get around to doing the top 100, who are going to rank differently than how we had them lined up on our, you know, on our, our top tens. Now, we try to limit that as much as possible, but there are rare cases where a guy gets hurt, something like that, where clearly you're not going to just artificially keep them high because of something. But, but more than that, we may, when we're putting this together, you know, each, this is not my Braves top 10. This is the Baseball America top 10. But clearly I wrote it so there's going to be a, a lot of my influence on how the rankings line up. Well, when we go to the top 100, where we are using, basically, we're kind of sitting in a room together as an entire staff, it may be that I'm the only guy that thinks that, for instance, Kyle Wright is, uh, you know, should rank higher than Tuki Toussaint. I mean, again, and I'm not saying that's the case, but let's just deal with the hypothetical. Well, if that's the case, we may end up having Tuki Toussaint higher on the top 100 than Kyle Wright, even if Kyle Wright is higher on the Braves' top 10 than Tuki Toussaint. And again, you know, you're not going to see us have a guy who is number two on the uh, top 10, not on the list, and a guy you know, on the top 100, and the guy who's number eight on the list. But it does mean that we're not going to artificially keep ourselves from ranking that the way we feel like it should be ranked just because of how we rolled out the top 10. Now, I'll say this. Number ones, we spend a lot of time on who should be number one, and so generally the number ones are going to still line up the same way for the top 100. But there may be a couple of tweaks after that. And it seems like with this list, and you've kind of alluded to that, uh, in like you know whether it be in the chats or even on Twitter that this particular list could actually see a little bit more volatility in terms of who's ranked above where because one through probably I mean and we had the same problem we were even making our midseason list uh, this year is that one through six or seven there's arguments eight yeah eight. you 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 went into, let's see hold on wait oh yeah okay we'll talk about that in a minute um, yeah one through eight yeah one oh, through one one through eight there's like legitimate arguments to move guys around and. I wouldn't necessarily I, I bat an eye to those. Chances. Yeah, I would say, and I'll say, and I'll say ninth. I, I would not see number nine on the list, William Contreras, being number two. But if you wanted to argue him six, you know, okay. I mean, again, that that's not outside of the realm of uh, of of reasonable argument. Um, no, last year, picking number one for the Braves was about as easy as it gets. Agreed. Okay, it's Acuna. Okay, yeah. moving on. Okay, so you know, that's 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 easy. This year, I thought about. I really, at some point, probably did think about eight guys. Now, you know, um, especially okay when it's all said and done, Austin Riley is a big league ready bat, and who, um. Again, I got a lot of scouts who are very, very comfortable with his glove, are very, very comfortable with his power. And you can find a lot of scouts who are, I mean, they're not as comfortable with his hit tool as his power, but are comfortable with his hit tool. So that's, I'm going to generally 
bet on the bat over the arms because to give an example from just this past year, Mike Soroka, it's hard to be, <laughs> there are higher ceiling guys, but Mike Soroka as a pitching prospect coming into 2018, you know, a perfect health record, had moved extremely fast, had been successful at every level he's ever pitched at, you know, and even though he was always the youngest guy wherever he went, and with quality stuff. Well, that checks off pretty much every box a pitching prospect can, can check off. But the reality of it is, is that Mike Soroka went out and he had a shoulder injury this year. And there's just not the same equivalent. And hopefully he's going to be fine. He's back on the mound. He's still ranked very high in the top 10 this year. But there's not a position player equivalent to that. Nope. You know, guys may not hit guys, but the injury risk obviously with pitchers is so much higher that if I'm if it, if I've got a tie or I've got a close grouping, I'm probably going to put the bat first, especially if they're all close to proximity to the majors. And Austin really checks off the, you know, always been young for his league, productive, you know, a, a defensive impact and power, you know, hitting power. That. In the end, that's why he's number one. I, I can I can definitely respect that position, especially with, I mean, even if a hitter were to have to undergo Tommy John surgery, it does not have the long-term effect uh, on a guy's <laughs> prognosis than, say, a pitcher would. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I, even the same injuries don't affect them in the same ways. Um, but, I'm, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and the reality of it is, is that, Okay, and I'll kind of throw it back at, at to you. I can't give you one of these pitchers. Like, again, I'm not saying Austin Riley is a perfect prospect by any stretch. He's not number one. He's not number two on the top 100, anything like that. But with every pitcher that the Braves have, with, with a, maybe a slight exception to Ian Anderson, there's some hiccup left that kind of at least gives you a reason to have a slight pause. I'll, I'll kind of throw it, you know, would you, would you say there's a guy you would, you know, that you say, no, 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 he doesn't have, you know, like a, a significant concern left. I, I agree with, especially with Soroka, Wright, Tukey and Bryce, that there are, and they're, they're not all the same issues, right? Like some of them are, oh, man, no, some no, of them are very different. Some yeah. Issues. Um, um, in Soroka's case, there's the shoulder injury that, as far as we're aware, like he's recovered from, but that still is in the back of your mind when you're making those assumptions. Right. You know, with Wright and Tukey, you have command issues, and with Bryce, it's the secondaries. I'm yep. actually not of the opinion that Ian Anderson isn't in that group, especially when you think of, like, I know that what we heard was that he was, like, put on an innings limit in Rome, but he did go on the DL, and there was enough rumors that there was, like, a potential shoulder thing that could have possibly been giving him issues. And, like, even that gives me pause, um, which is why I'm, even like, though, when, when I see Austin Riley at the top. Last year. Yeah. Yeah. It's, Sorry, go ahead. No, it's fine. It's, it's, you're, I agree. Like, it's just kind of one of those things where if you look at last year, Ian Anderson was probably the one that answered the most questions, I think. And... Mm-hmm. A lot of these, I mean, again, two through six, with all, these are all pitchers. There's arguments for all these guys, whether it be proximity or, you know, kind of like betting on overall stuff. I mean, if you're betting on overall stuff, I'm not sure how you don't pick Tukey Toussaint, but that's not the only consideration. You know what I mean? Uh, if you're, like, peak outcome anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, peak outcome, but at the same time, I mean, like you said, you know, the concern is, hey, the control, the command has gotten better. Yeah. But it still has a ways to go. Um, you know, Bryce Wilson 
There are a few guys who pitch better off their fastball than Bryce Wilson. But at the same time, there are a few guys in the major leagues who starting pitchers, successful long-term front of the rotation starters, who you say, yeah, he mainly pitches off his fastball and he doesn't really have a secondary that, you know, that comes close to matching his, his fastball in consistency and quality right now. Um, like you said, Kyle Wright, again, I don't think the control is going to be a long-term issue for him, but you, you can't say, oh, the, there's zero concern there because that has been, you know, it's, it's got to get a little better. Um, Ian Anderson, like you said, I, I kind of do feel like that. And I think I wrote this, but like that, you know, if you said to these guys who has the, the highest likelihood to be a front of rotation starter, I'm probably leaning to Ian Anderson right now. And again, I agree with you. I think, you know, Tukey's stuff is probably the best. He has the best three pitch mix, but part of being a front of the rotation starter is the command and control. And uh, maybe it's unfair, but I'm giving Ian Anderson an edge there on Tukey mainly because he's younger and has had less issues to overcome with that. I so, can respect that. You know, but again, they're all like you could you could make an argument for any one of those guys at two, or really you could make an argument at one. But this is when we said that this group is really bunched up. And again, I will go back to if Soroka which I can't really figure out a scenario where Soroka would have both been healthy and still eligible for this list because he would have <laughs> yeah, seen the innings. But if Soroka had been fully healthy last year, he's the clear, you know, he just, if some weird, like he'd had to, you know, he'd had to go away for the rest of the season, midway through the season. And it was just like the, the starts we saw before he was, you know, before he had to be shut down. And he was fully healthy, and you're confident that there was no injury problem at all. He'd be the top guy here just because, again, age, proximity, quality of stuff, reliability, all that. But, you know, while he is by all accounts healthy, and I asked him that, you know, myself, and yep, he says he's, you know, he's fine. But you can't feel as confident on that until he's back out and throwing innings consistently. I mean, because the reality of it is also is, is that that was supposed to be an injury that was supposed to sideline him for a couple of starts. Yeah, Sh and and shoulder injuries are scary. To a, a month and then to two months until, oh, he's not going to pitch again this year. So, you know, but and that gets us to seven and eight, which are also fascinating. <laughs> yep, uh, and and uh, I, I joked with JJ, with you already about that we're going to be fighting over that, but honestly there's not, uh, well, not really a fight to be had because it's, I think what the important thing that I think taking from your list and really just any list regarding Braves prospects this offseason is that there's going to be so much subjectivity, whether it be proximity to the majors, betting on projection of certain guys over others and injuries over others, that I don't necessarily think it's fair to anyone <laughs> that if you get mad over like a guy being ranked third versus eighth, because I think that the people who write those lists don't see a big gap in those I, I spots. Do anyone does. I definitely do not, yeah. um, but I do know in the chat yesterday, I do know in the comments on y'all's site, you know, someone was slagging us pretty good about it. You know, hey, that's fine. They're a big Christian Pache fan. That's fine. But, you know, was Christian Pache being eight? And I get it. You know, I understand it. Um, and, you know, and Drew Waters being ahead of him. And, again, I can easily construct a case. Pache is a better defender. You know, and he's really good defensively in center field. Um, he is, you know, he has moved. He has generally been uh, 
age at the same age a, a step ahead as far as where he's played than Waters. Yeah. Um, he is, I would say, I think they're both really good athletes, but he's a better athlete. You know, that's the, to me, that's a, a pretty solid case. You know, he's got a, and he's got a better arm. It's a pretty solid case for, for Pache. That said, if I'm going tool by tool, I'm more confident in Waters' hit tool. I'm more confident in Waters' power. And I think that he's going to have defensive value, solid defensive value. Um, I think he's going to have a solid arm. And I think he's, and I think he actually, while he is slower than Pache, his speed actually, when you talk about base pass, things like that, is more productive. He can steal bases in a way that Pache has, has not shown yet that he can. And I would argue you very rarely, again, and not that base stealing is that important in the game these days, but very rarely do players develop into successful base stealers. The guys who are great base stealers steal bases from the day they arrive in the minors. There was no day where Billy Hamilton went, oh, oh now right. <laughs> steal bases. You know, Christian Postre does not know how to steal bases right now. And no. I'm not saying it's not going to ever happen for him, but it is much less likely because that is not generally a skill that players develop in double A and beyond. So, no. yeah, so that, that's a long monologue. But so I, I'm betting on... I'm betting on Waters' bat over Pache's defense. And again, I can definitely see the argument the other way. At one point, I had him the other way. But that's, you know, from talking to some scouts I really trust, you know, that that was kind of where I ended up on the very interesting debate. Well, and, and, it's, a fa- and it's a fair point to make because they are, they are somewhat, I mean, Pache starting off in professional baseball, so young versus Waters and like level relative levels of experience. It's kind of they're they're very obviously they both play center field and they both are kind of are going to be compared because they're in the same organization. Sure, but but they their their paths are going to be very different. I guess my Absolutely. question would be my question to be with you is that assuming best possible outcome, who has the higher ceiling between the two? Is it Pache or is it Waters? Pache. Pache, Pache, but by a mile, right? Because yeah. like, because of the athleticism. Oh, yeah, because again, if Pache, if the bat develops, then you are talking about, I mean, a star. You absolutely are. Yes, I agree with that. Now, where I think that Braves fans sometimes can get a little over optimistic is that bat has not developed. I know it was a better year this year, and it's improvement, but. The swing is, is still not something – I mean, there's still work to do there. And he he has posted – again, I know he wasn't at AA for a ton of time. But that, that power surge, which was encouraging. But basically his time at high A is still the only time in his career that he has posted an isolated plugging above 100. You know, again, he only had a little – you know, basically a month in AA was not a good month in double A. Um, he doesn't walk all that much. And again, when you talk about the power, I mean, he is, there is athleticism, there is potential for strength that he has not tapped into. There's a potential that all that comes together. I mean, encouragingly, he does not strike out a ton. But, but he has, he has, he could definitely be a better player than Drew Waters. I would 
again, it's the he has further to go to get to there than Drew Waters does because Drew Waters at the plate is much, you know, again, not perfect by any stretch either, but you see the power more consistently. His, you know, he he has a bet, I would say, I argue, a better sense of the strike zone as far as drawing walks, things like that right now um, than Pache does. And the other aspect of this, and again, we can all agree, we can all grant that Christian Pache is a really good defender in center field. Mm-hmm. And then it comes down to what we do not know, you know, and I don't know a way to do this yet, you know, is I've talked to a whole lot of people and the debates on Pache are range from he's a 60 defender to he's an 80 defender. All of those are that he's a quite a good defender. Now, if he's an 80 defender, the value that he can provide center field is just so great that basically it's, he doesn't really have to get yeah. <laughs> Right. If he's a, 60 or even 70 defender, then there is some requirement on the bat. You know, Billy Hamilton, again, Christian Pache is a better hitter than Billy Hamilton, and I'm not comparing him that way. But Billy Hamilton has to be an 80 defender to be an everyday player. And even then, it's kind of a little bit touch and go because he struggles at the plate so much. Byron Buxton, when he struggled, I mean, he was an 8 defender. But, you know, Byron Buxton still has to hit some for the value to really fully come out, you know, and again, these are not like, if, if someone wants to argue Pache higher, you believe the bat's going to come together. I get it. I'm not saying it's not going to, but, um, but I also talk to guys who say, no, I think that this is, he's going to, in the end, be a very solid everyday player. He's not going to be a star. And you also talk to people who think that, you know, again, with waters, the debate is, is, you know, it really comes down to, is he going to get significantly bigger, um, you know, stronger, although maybe a little slower? But, I mean, that comes down to, is he going to be a really good defensive right fielder, or is he going to be a solid defensive center fielder? And, like, I mean, the upside, you know, less likely is, is he ends up being a really good center fielder, which is still possible with him, too. And, I mean, I've you know, you probably did too, but I mean, I've seen him make some really good plays. He, 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 but when he was in Rome, he made some really good ones, especially going back. He um, goes back really well, and he wants to have a fence that's you know that's eight nine feet high because he can steal. <laughs> yeah. he, he is really good. He's really good at that. I mean, which is a skill. I mean, that's a value. Like any ball you catch, you bring him back into play. You know, is I mean, <laughs> you are saving. I mean, you're saving literally runs. Yep. And he do that really well. And I had a question in the chat yesterday, you know, well, what about his platoon? It's like, look, if you give me a switch hitter who really hits well from the left side and struggles more from the right side, take that every day, <laughs> you know, because the, the, you, you want it to be that way and not the other way. <laughs> two thirds of his at bats or more are going to come from that side. Yep. So if he's really productive from that side, he's going to be a really good hitter. Um, you know, again, we're talking about two top hundred players in my yeah, mind. It, it is not that you do not like Pache. It's just that they're both very, oh. very good. <laughs> right. And again, I really, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I'm too high on Drew Waters, but I mean, again, I'm, I, I will I, tell you this. I, when mm-hmm. we, when we did our mid season list, we have, we have five folks that uh, do the minor league coverage uh, or at least participate in the, 
in the list making process on our side. Two of them made the same decision you did in putting Waters ahead of Pache. Now, a couple a couple others had I think it ended up working out where Pache ended up ranking ahead of Waters, but it was like by a little bit slightly higher margins between the two, so that Pache ended up being ranked higher sure. overall. But it was very close because it's not it's easy to like Waters. It's really easy to like a switch hitting center fielder that hits for power <laughs> and has speed. I mean, and has had I mean at the plate, Drew Waters, you know, especially his time at Rome is more productive offensively. Now, again, take the defense. You know, again, let's admit I can quantify offense right. much easier than the minors than we, can quanti- we can't quantify defense. We know they're both really good. We know Pache is better. I feel that those are things that were gone from subjective to objective. Objectively, what Drew Waters did at the plate in Rome is significantly better than anything Christian Pache has ever done. And again, that doesn't mean he's going to be a better, that's not a guarantee of him being a better big league hitter. But but it is something where, like, to, to give an example, and it was a good question in the chat that someone asked me yesterday, said, hey, compare Christian Pache to the Rangers' Leode Tavares. And, which is an interesting question, because Leode Tavares has been a top 100 prospect also. And I, again, now Christian Pache hit better in 2018 than Leody Tavares did. Leody Tavares, you know, was when they were both in the South the year before, I'd say it was a lot closer. Right. But Leody Tavares is a 70 defender in center field who runs, um, who guys at times, it, was, it took a step back here, but the question is the hit tool, the question is the power. And so I like Pache better, but those two guys are. It's not a crazy question when someone asks that question. Again, that really, again, and I'm not trying to denigrate Pache in any way, but there are there is of, there, of all these guys we're talking about, you know, there is more kind of questions of things that he still has to check off the list. Now, again, because to check, you know, he could play in the big leagues. If, again, I, I can't have to imagine the Braves are going to make another outfield addition. <laughs> At some point right. this offseason, they're not going into the season like this. But let's just, for a hypothetical, let's say you know, if the Braves needed a guy to fill in for a few weeks next year, you know, hey, I mean, the, the, the great thing about Pache is, is who should be in double A to start the year is that you could put him out there in any, you know, in any spot and say, Look, I don't know how much he's going to hit, but we feel like he'll be really good defensively to where he at least can play a role on this team right now. And that's really valuable too. You know, that he already has, he already has some major league tools that you, and skills that you do not need any further refinement at. But, you know, again, with the hit tool and the power, there's significant further refinement needed. And again, it'll be fascinating to watch over the next, uh, and the other thing that's going to be fascinating to watch is, is that that means the Braves have two guys. They have a, a center fielder in Atlanta who is signed for, three? You know, what, 2021 with an option for 22, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it's three, possibly four, yeah. And you have a center fielder coming up. And neither of those players has as much value if you move them to a corner. 
you know, Drew Waters, you put him in a corner and it's not really changes his value probably that much. It's kind of like Ronald Acuna. Right. If you, if you have that bat, but if you put Enciarte in a corner or you put Pasha in a corner where you, you just diminish their value, still going to give you some value because of the defense. But so, I mean, obviously at some point the Rays are going to have to make a decision. Um, and I, I you know, I kind of wonder when that will be because, and you know, I think a lot of that obviously will probably depend on how Andrew Enciarte looks in 20, you know, 2019, because 2018 was not as good, especially in the first half. But if there, if he shows further signs, okay, you know, it, it's kind of backed up a little bit. Well, then that makes it easier to go Pache. But at the same time, this is a Braves team that is playing to win in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, probably. And so, if Enciarte is more likely to help right away in all those years, well, then it might be that they, they move Pache because he's, he's going to have value. And, uh, and the other part of that is, is there's not going to be a whole lot of opportunities. He might have more value for another organization than with the Braves. Right. That's, yep, that's, how I, that, that's a good way to put it. Um, and that, that makes sense. Uh, uh, we, we've had discussions about other players and other prospects that kind of like have fit the same mold, especially when, you know, there was the, the Ozzy versus Dansby at shortstop debate and whether or not another team might think that wh- whoever didn't win that spot uh, would feel they could be a shortstop. And there's a lot of other, well, it, and they don't find spots for both of them. So, well, and I'll still, you know, Hey, I would say that we could still argue that, you know, again, it could be a thing. I think Swanson, it, I think Swanson's defense has, has lived up to every expectation. Obviously the bat has not yet. Um, you know, obviously the thing that happened that look you look at it now and you say, I do think that this is a very important year for Swanson because yeah. they have, they, again, even take Donaldson out of it, they have ways that they could put together an infield that does not include Swanson without ever making a trade. Yeah. So it, it, you know, it, it involves a, a lot of Camargo and a lot of Charlie Culberson in our lives, but yeah, they could do it. I, no, I, I you know, but you know, but Culberson would just be the backup because I mean, again, right. like you just all you have to do is just slide at, you know, take your pick of Camargo or Aldi plays short, Riley plays third, and, you know, and yeah. whoever's not of those two guys is playing second. Well, that's that's really good. And again, that doesn't mean I think they should, you know, get Dansby Swanson out of town by now, but it does mean you can afford to lose him. Yeah. And again, the thing that the, the thing that was baffling to me was that you know I understand like you know Donaldson's been an AL player for a lot, but you know getting questions in the chat like why would the Braves sign Donaldson? It's like well, because <laughs> why wouldn't you sign that? I've, I've if, gotten if my Donaldson, fair share of those questions too, and it's just if Donaldson's healthy, he very easily could be the second best player on the team. You know, I mean, he'll he, again. He, Behind Acuna, who I, I think is amazing, you know, or Freeman, one of the two. But you know, I mean, he's in that same group. <laughs> I mean, and, that's and adding another one of those guys is good. Like, uh, I, I, and, and again, the the depth it gives them now, where there is not a position on the infield, any spot, where if they have someone suffer a significant injury, like he's going to miss two months, that they wouldn't that they would even have to go out and make a move. They could say, nope, we're okay. Swanson goes down, we're sliding out of these over, or moving Camargo there. If 
Donaldson goes down, removing Camargo. And by the way, we've got Austin Riley, too. If Freddie Freeman goes down, hey, Austin Riley, you're going to break in as a first baseman. Or Donaldson's going to move to first, and Riley's going to play third. And, and that's, that's valuable. And, and if, you know, the aging catching duo of Flowers and McCann have some struggles, I mean, Donaldson's ca- caught, so we can just throw him yeah. down. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that's going pretty deep with, you know, the into the, the, the roster depth chart, and I'm not sure if that's what Donaldson necessarily signed up for, but... You know, just, that, that would that would not be a uh, that would be a sign that uh, that this is the darkest timeline to use my old community uh, <laughs> of a community. What, that what would dark, be the darkest timeline for the Braves. <laughs> what dark timeline we are on? Uh, at that point, you probably just have some other options that you should be taking advantage of, like Alex Jackson that you've already added to your forty man. Um, that one was a little surprising to me. I, uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't think he was going to get taken, but that actually leads us that actually leads me to my next question uh rule 5 time jj uh i do love the rule 5 draft because it's always a really fascinating time for me but my love for the rule 5 draft is not anywhere close to yours and kind of the amount of work that you put into it mine's a sickness mine's <laughs> an illness i mean let's just be honest about it it is i'm um, okay with that but it is um the Braves made some interesting roster moves when they i mean patrick Weigel being added was felt like a no brainer to me Yep. Um, and I mean, but Alex Jackson and you know some of the names they didn't add. Uh, Ray Patrick Jeter kind of being one that's chief in my mind, uh, since he could be like useful uh, in in a lot of ways going forward. Who could the Braves feasibly lose in this upcoming Rule Five draft? I, I think Ditter is the, the most likely, um, and and I understand why they didn't protect him in some ways. I get it. Because the thing about Ray Patrick Ditter is, is that it's not like he is not a player that you cannot find a version of on the market. Like, you don't – you could lose him, but at the same time, I can't say that he's in any way irreplaceable. But I've always been a, a fan of Ditter, and in the Rule 5, I, I think that the best Rule 5 picks are picks where – player who's being added to a roster, you can legitimately see how he contributes to the roster. I'm not a fan of take the guy in low A and you're going to stash him on your bench and he's never going to play and then next you'll send him back down to the minors and then two years later you hope he turns into something. That fails almost every time. Um, but with Ditter, if, you, if a team takes Ditter in the Rule 5 and says he is going to be a backup middle infielder who could also play outfield. Play it well, too. Also yeah. play it well. I mean, anywhere out there also. The arm will play, you know, again, you're not going to put him as an everyday right fielder, but he could play any spot out there. Um, and he can pinch run. And yeah. early inning pinch hitter, I mean, you're not going to put him out there. In, you know, again, it's a National League team. You're not going to put him out there in the, the eighth inning. But, you know, if you said, hey, it's the fourth inning. Our pitcher's been struggling. Maybe we let him, you know, it's leading off the inning. We're going to have him pinch, you know, hit. Maybe he gets on base, steals a base, and then gets something going. He can do something like that. So he has utility. Um, you know, there are a couple of relievers who I don't see it happening. I don't see someone taking, uh, you know, like a guy like Phil Pfeiffer, but, you know, maybe someone really likes him. Um, there's, you know, I, again, it's unlikely to me, but I could see it. Um, you know, guys like that. But I, I do think that Ditter, you know, I'm sure. Uh, I, I've already had, I think, people ask, you know, do you think Travis Demerit's going to get taken? And I'm not trying to slam Travis Demerit, but no, 
guys who hit 220 in their second year in double A aren't more likely to be taken than when they did it the first time. (laughs) Right. Right. That that's actually seen more as, Oh, okay. We got validation for what we saw last year. Um, you know, I, I don't, again, there's some other guys who I'm sure I'll have other braves on my list because I go way too long, but, it's a sickness, JJ. Just embrace it. Yes, it is. And again, I, and I, I did like the idea, you know, that they added Webb because I do think that he could have easily been taken. Yeah. So that was one. That was one that made a lot of sense to me. And I, even with Jackson, it surprised me a little bit. But at the same time, when you look at catching around yeah. baseball, and you're so, like, you know, some desperate team might have just grabbed him. And just to have now him. again. They may have, you know, then offered him back by, you know, by June. But, you know, the reality of it is, is that even that does have a, an impact on a player. And at the same time, the other thing that kind of, you know, again, it's not the main reason you do these things, but players know <laughs> that they're not, they're, they're, they're not unaware. So take a guy like Alex Jackson, you know, if you're him, and the Braves didn't add you to the 40-man roster, it tells it, it tells you a bit of what the organization thinks of you. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas adding you to the 40-man roster also tells you something. He is going to be going to spring training on the 40-man roster, you know, big league invite because he's on the 40-man roster, and maybe that's you know that helps him next year to go. You know what they because. I mean, just rewind the clock. Alex Jackson was in an organization where it it was not a pairing that went well. Him and the Mayors did not go well. Right. Well, he's in an organization now where the Braves have just given a very strong vote of confidence in him. And, you know, go a step further by a GM who did not acquire him. So... It's a little different than, you know, hey, I made a trade last year and I need to make it look good. I'm going to put him on the 40 man. Alex Anthopoulos, he doesn't lose any capital by, you know, by not putting Alex Jackson on the 40. So it is a, you know, you have to take it as somewhat of a positive sign for him Um, and, you know, kind of see where that goes. But again, I was a little surprised like you were, but at the same time, I, you know, there are things I can see that come from it, and one of them also is that, again, a couple of years ago, it felt like the Braves were in, had some pretty solid catching depth, and you look at it now, and it's like, no, it's Jackson, it's Contreras, and it runs out real soon. You know, Brett Cumberland's been traded, uh, Drew Lugbauer has not, you know, really developed as a catcher as, as maybe there was a, a hope when he was drafted. Herbert hasn't um, really developed as a hitter. <laughs> Herbert has not developed as a hitter. Kate Savick is uh, no longer there. You know, there, there were a whole lot of guys that are not a whole lot of guys now. And again, and the Braves also don't have a catcher on the, in the big leagues on the right side of 30. So there are reasons to looking long term where it makes sense to add him to the 40 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it wasn't like, I, I always thought it was just more unlikely, you know, like he just, he wouldn't have been the guy like been in my pick, but if once you start kind of figuring out which relievers that they, they wanted to keep around, because ultimately what happens in the rule five draft is what a lot of these picks are 
end up being relievers because it's easy to see them getting at least some time in the major leagues without having to like, you know, kind of like figure out weird playing time, you know, shenanigans to kind of figure out your 40 man rosters and your 25 man situation. Um, whereas, you know, got, you can pick up relievers and there just wasn't a lot of guys that were both rule five eligible for the Braves and that were also close enough that you could see happening. There's some guys like there's some relievers that I like. Um, and obviously I really like Patrick Weigel still. Uh, I'm really hopeful that he's going to play a role for the Braves this year. Uh, great guy, really great arm. Hopefully it all comes back. It, it sounded like he looked a little raw down in instru- down in instructs. And uh, I was a little bit surprised. He yeah, was, I heard the same. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I was a little bit surprised that he didn't go to the uh, Arizona Fall League, but again, if they're wanting to kind of give him as much rest as possible, it does make sense. I'm not. I think I like the idea of basically telling him as you go into 2019, now you really ramp up. Okay. You know, you know, you give him an extra full. I, there is something to be said for two full off seasons of recovery without like you really going full bore in between. You know, I've actually heard that from a team or two. Like, and so I think that, you know, I, I think he had, you know, he had all of the 2017-18 offseason to recover. And now he's going to have all the 18-19. Now, again, what is truly fascinating and, you know, I mean, I really is. It's really fascinating is uh, does he end up having to move to the pen just to, because, I mean, the reality of it is, is that where, where does he play? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've done the same thing, but you know, mapping out like, uh, again, let's assume I, I just, for the sake of fun said, okay, like last year, I don't think the Braves needed a fifth starter until like the, the second, like the third week of the season. Yeah, that was right. Because, and which was helpful because Gohara was out. And that's so, kind of, yeah, say that say that replicates. If that's the case, where you could say that at the just for the very start of the minor league season, no one from that none of those rookie pitchers is in the rotation. You know, or let's say create. You know, let's just say something like Max Freed is the guy who fills that spot. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, well, then Weigel ends up probably in the pen at Gwinnett, which is and. And yeah. it's also like you're, you're bringing Wes Parsons and guys like that in and going, I'm really sorry, but, you know, I, I don't have innings for you to start <laughs> because we've got Wright, Toussaint, Wilson, Soroka, Gohara, um, and that's probably the opening day AAA rotation. And again, say Gohara. Well, I mean, I mean there's, but there's, there's, there's Colby Allard. There's, I mean, Colby, we're, Colby Allard, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> For six guys, yeah, Colt Allard, and then you have Ian Anderson and Kyle Muller and Joey Wentz and uh, Tucker Davidson in Double A right behind them. That's insane. I, I I think what this reinforces is that the Braves are going to make a move to move some pitchers. There's just if for no other reason that logistically it doesn't even like in the high minors. I don't even know how you make it work without diminishing like both the players development if you're if you think at all they're going to be starters like this is turning into a bit of a nightmare because you don't want to like necessarily lose, make guys lose playing time and also like you don't want to diminish their value by moving someone to the pen because ultimately 
if you're planning on moving them, you want them to have the value as a starter, not as a reliever, and you don't want to like make that move prematurely. And it's it's kind of it's I call it a it's it's a it's a good mess to have if you're an organization, but it is a mess. I actually think I, I could actually see the argument for putting one or two of those guys in the big league pen yeah. for the twenty for the twenty nineteen season. Because I mean I do think that we have seen examples of players for whom it actually ended up working out quite well. Um, Wainwright is obviously, I mean, uh, former Bray is an example. Uh, I mean, it worked out well for Chris Sale. Uh, yeah, and so the, the thing about it is, is that, and again, we obviously, there are some guys who could probably do that role really well. And then if you need to move them back into the rotation a year later, you know, I don't think that that's going to really have significantly you know, slowed or backed up their development. But what it does do is the other possibility is, is you may find that someone is so good in that role that you don't end up ever moving them back. You know, and again, maybe, I, I mean, there's a, there's a thousand guys who, you know, who we could think of over the years. I mean, Edwin Diaz, the guy who just was, you know, has been the biggest, probably the biggest, name traded so far best player traded so far this offseason you know i mean he was a starter all through the minors um you know uh, again going back even as far as you know former brave billy wagner billy wagner was just i mean he was always little but he was always he was basically a starter and then you know moved to the pen and it was like no he's going to be uh you know one of the best closers in baseball we're not going to move him away from it well again why what's to say that say like a guy like bryce wilson who as we talked about has a great fastball, and only and the secondaries have further room to go. What's to say that the best role for him in 2019? Because I mean, the Braves, as we talked about earlier, the Braves' moves now are not focused. They're all focused on development and current success. Yeah. But that split's not 50-50. <laughs> no, it is if not. Bryce Wilson can help you win games in 2019 in the pen then you want Bryce Wilson in the pen. And again, or Tuki Tucson, or Kyle Wright, or take your pick. Because again, outside of Colby Allard and maybe Joey Wentz, there's not really many of these guys who don't fit pretty well, profile pretty well in the pen. So it's again, you could kind of take your pick of, okay, which one do you want to you know put out there? But I, do, I wouldn't be shocked at all to see one or two of the guys out there because I mean, <laughs> it I almost, almost has Braves, to happen. Yeah, I can see the Braves making trades. I'm not disagreeing with you in any way on that. But at this point, assuming that they're not going to trade away current big league position players, okay? Yeah. The only positions that they can they can really go out to acquire is a starting pitcher who has to be a front of the rotation guy because adding another number four or number three is not really needed. Uh, a corner outfielder. Yeah. Or a reliever. That's it, isn't it? I mean, that's pretty, that's, that's, that's pretty much, I mean, I, I guess you could upgrade a catcher um, if you really wanted to. But I mean, in terms of well, like... When you say that, when you say that, I mean... If you're planning to do that, and there's only one 
There's basically there's one, one name. Guy yeah. There's one name left to do that. And I kind of think that the signing of Brian McCann means they don't think that's going to happen. You know, I mean, I mean, like it could be that they don't think it's going to happen, or that they at least want to have a good plan in place if it doesn't happen. Sure, and and, 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 and McCann was pretty clear; like he had other opportunities that would have paid him better. I think he wanted to be in Atlanta one way or the other. Um, right. And but I mean, he, if that means he's the third catcher, I don't think he necessarily cares at this point in his career. Right, but I don't think you're going to end up having him as a third catcher. No, I don't think again, so either. Like you'd have to. I mean, it would be a messy. Like you could do it, but what you would end up doing is. is you would have to trade one of those two guys, you know, which, you know, again, that would be messy. I mean, realistically, it's only like, so I guess my point I'm making is, is I'm not saying that the Braves couldn't make a trade for a front of the rotation guy, although there's very few of those guys out there, um, or a really good reliever, although the best one who was going to be available just got traded, um, you yeah, know, but interesting deal. There, are that, there are not that many ways to fill those holes and i mean the other thing with that is is that i at some point i mean one thing i will call out the braves on at some point they got to start spending some money you know i mean the whole point of the new stadium was is that new revenue streams streams and they're going to be able to spend money well this team as it is and again they're spending a little bit more money but they're really only <laughs> spending money that they spent last year on dead money. They're not spending more than they spent last year. It's kind of what well, it currently states right now. Yeah. And and the reality of it is, is that they're in again, it does not seem like that they're gonna make the big, big, big splash. But this is a team that is going that has a lot of really productive cost controlled players for the next couple of years. Now you get to 2021, 20, 22, and it kind of this, it flips into kind of the Cubs situation where one downside of having a, a group of young position players who all came up together <laughs> is they hit arbitration together, you know, but, but that's still several years away. And, and again, that's where I thought the Donaldson trade, I mean, Donaldson signing was great because the Braves could spit, the Braves could go out and spend one year 23 on someone else too. Yeah. And it does not hurt them in the on the bottom line in the least because again they have the flexibility to do that right now. Yeah. I agree. All right, just a couple more questions, JJ. I know you're a busy man. I don't want to hold you up until, you know, one o'clock in the morning. Oh, I enjoy doing this stuff. You know, this is fun. <laughs> Well, it's they're always deep dives when you and I start talking on Braves prospects. So I want to try to make sure I'm not, you know, I look up and I realize that this is too out. We haven't, we haven't not gone. I was gonna say we haven't done a deep dive on anyone yet. So we have to do at least one of those before we're done too. Okay. You know, well, uh, like someone, someone who's a little further down, like you know. I, I have, I have a name in mind, and he is a frustrating prospect for me because I get asked, and, and this is no joke. Uh, for those listeners, I get asked a lot. Uh, I get asked a lot about Mike Soroka because my love for him is well known. Um, but another name that I'm asked about basically any times that he makes contact with a baseball, because it just so happens that when that on the rare occasion he does do that, he hits the ball a long way, and that's Braxton Davidson. I get asked about him probably more than any other prospect. JJ, what should I feel about Braxton at this point? Because we know that the raw power is real. And we know that in the Arizona Fall League, he had he really had moments that where he looked really good, and he has had his moments over the last few years where he has looked 
good. But he is also a guy who has not hit much at all in multiple trips to high A at this point. And that'd be very fair. Uh, I think it'd be hard to argue with anything other than that. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, well, let me ask you first. I'm going to pose a question back to you. Okay. Was that previously Travis Demerit who got the same kind of, uh, cause I get, a, I get, I used to get a lot of Travis Demerit questions. Like, and again, nothing against Travis Demerit, but an inordinate amount for a player of the productivity of Travis Demerit. Okay. Or is it been uniquely a Braxton Davidson thing for you? So it's been uniquely a Braxton Davidson thing because of how it, it seems to coincide with his streaks where he'll have four games where he hits, you know, three or four home runs. In Demerit's case, it was those were bunched up into two separate is when we, the Braves first acquired him. And, you know, he had those gaudy numbers out of the Texas League that I don't think a lot of people who follow prospects, maybe follow Braves prospects, weren't aware that a lot of those numbers are kind of mirages in a lot of cases. And then there was also, right, it was also right around the same time when Bernie Pleskov uh, saw Demerit in the Arizona Fall League and declared him a better prospect than Ozzie Albies. My, my Demerit questions were clustered around those two events happening. Oh, oh. But, uh, yeah. The, yeah on, on, on Davidson... I mean, it's a it's it's a bat first profile, right? It is, and again, I say these things. I want all these players to succeed, but it is nearly impossible. I'm going through my head through my like database of guys. I would really struggle to come up with anyone who in his third season effectively of AAA, because that's what this was for Davidson, right? Third season of AAA. Uh, third season of high A. Big I mean, high A, sorry, not AAA, high A, sorry. sorry. I, I, could, I could live with third season of AAA. Oh, yeah, third season of AAA is a different, different story. I've seen many a dude do that. Third season of high A and not hitting 200. As a bat first guy, I don't know if I could come up like a corner guy. I don't know if I could come up with one success story that fits that profile. I mean, and I'm talking, you know, I'm saying like if you did the last 15 years, 20 years, I don't know if there's an example. I know he's got power, but I don't know if there's an example of a player doing that what were joey gallows back, what were joey gallows like average numbers in the minors because that, that that actually is kind of i, I didn't follow him closely I, I knew he had like big time crazy pat like raw power but i didn't like in terms of like what, what kind of how he got what um base percentage and like what his batting average was in the minors i wasn't as familiar. always say good on base percentages because he walked a lot the right. pitchers were scared to death of him yeah and he hit usually in like the 230s 220s 240s like but the other thing about that Joey Gallo, I have to look it up. I mean, I would say that Davidson at this point probably not even has, close home run wise. Yeah, it's not even close. Like, like probably 45, 50 home runs in his career. Yeah, he had twenty Joey last Gallo year. Yeah, had twenty last year. I think that was the first year he ever had more than ten. I think uh, that sounds right. I mean, Joey Gallo set the AZL record for home runs in his debut. Yeah. 
He then went to the Sally League and I believe led the minors in homers. He then went to high A slash double A and was among the league, the minor league leaders in homers. Like, like Joey Gallo, Joey Gallo is the embodiment of the perfect example of the three outcome. (laughs) Strikes out a ton. He walks and he hits homers and Braxton Davidson has power. No, there are very few people who've ever walked the earth who have Joey Gallo's power. I mean, it's just, he has, he has more balls that he hit that stuck in, that have stuck in my head than any one I've ever covered. And like the, I mean, the only one coming up through the minors who kind of left the same trail of destruction where people just kept talking about his homers was Stan. The funny thing yeah. is, his judge did not. Aaron Judge. No, he didn't. <laughs> he hit him. He had home runs, but it wasn't, you know. But it wasn't like mythical. I mean, like Gallo hit hit home runs. Like I can still be at games and like see a scout and go, "Hey, you were in Winston Salem that day," and they'll finish the sentence. You mean the one that Gallo hit the ball up, you know, halfway up the center field, you know, the scoreboard, like, you know, that's like four hundred and forty feet from home plate. It's like, yeah, yeah, you were there. You know, it's like, I mean, you know, or you say, oh, you were in Greensboro? Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, I saw him hit, you know, the ball that cleared the, you know, cleared the road, you know, and, and landed, you know, it, you know, that ended up rolling to like, you know, a block and a half away from the state, you know, like things like that. Braxton Davidson, you know, I, I mean, to, again, I don't mean this in any way to denigrate Braxton Davidson. He was one of the best baseball players in the world. Because he hit twenty, he hits twenty homers in high A. That's very hard to do. Yeah. But that being said, right now the career progression is is he's fighting for a job before long. Because you know, okay, he's going to move up to Double A. He's going to have to hit in Double A some to show some signs. Because if not, I mean, the the the, the clock is ticking. And again, that's just the, the, the cruel, harsh life that is minor league baseball is now. I mean, the, the thing that I also kind of want to throw out at you is, is that that does stand out is, you know, because you said you love prospects. I do. I do. Winter is coming, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes, I know. I mean, I mean, I predicted, you know, I mean, again, I think the Braves are going to keep drafting well. You know, because they do a good job of it, and they really do a good job of developing high school pitchers, which almost no one else can do, and they generally keep them healthy, which almost no one else can do. All that being said, and you've seen it. Like, I mean, I'm sure you've talked to people over at Instructs. The lower levels of the system are not pretty right now. It's not. It's not. It's and, not the same as it was for sure. And. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse as the team starts drafting lower and the international additions are going to be very, very few and far between. Yeah. No. So, so, and again, and you throw on top of that, that this is a team that's going to graduate guys and trade guys. And, you know, Braves fans, I mean, just be prepping for the fact. And again, the goal of all of this is to win games at the major league level. And, and and if that means should, and if that means that Sean, the Sean Gilmartins of the world need to be top five prospects, then I guess that's just the way it needs to be. Right, and again, Brace fans should 
should can go. It's like you don't have to go that far back to remember, you know. No. Um, I mean, again, it is going to be the fascinating thing about this is is that when it's all said and done, this is going to be a very complicated era of Braves baseball. Looking back on it twenty years from now, to kind of fully wrap the brain around because. In some ways, what John Coppola did when he was, you know, him and John Hart did is, and again, I lumped them both together on this, is, is one of the biggest black marks that the organization will ever have. You know, I mean, again, I mean, the sanctions that were handed down to the Braves were almost unprecedented. I mean, they were close. I mean, they were, those were significant sanctions. And they're going to hurt for a long, were, long time. At the same time, the rebuild worked about as well as you see these rebuilds ever work. Yeah. I mean, and again, it's not, and it's not all them. There was, you know, clearly some of the talent was already in the organization before, you know, those moves were made to bring them in or promote, I should say. But the reality of it is, is a lot of those moves and a lot of those decisions were made during that time. And so there is, you know, it's a very complicated legacy. But the other thing that does stand out is, is that you said, like, I mean, there's probably going to be trades. Alex Anthopoulos has been very patient about waiting and assessing and learning about his organization. But he's been here long enough now that he knows, he knows which guys he wants to hold on to or have a pretty good idea and which guys to trade. And so now it's just a matter of the question of is what's going to be the right moves to make. Yep. Those calculations are going to be important. All right, JJ, one last question before I let you go. You feel free to as brief as you want it to be. Uh, I am very close to the Rome Braves, uh, both geographically uh, as well as just kind of a team that's close to my oh. heart. Give me tell, a... tell all those guys. That, that I will interrupt you real quick just to say that those are my guys too because, again, Mike Dunn has moved on now, but Mike Dunn, Jimmy Jones, uh, Terry Morgan, all those guys were the Macon Braves guys when I was covering the Macon Braves many, many years ago. And so. I will make sure I tell I'll make sure I tell Jimmy that you said hi. I'm sure I will see him soon. Please do. Uh, he's Please he, do. Uh, for those who aren't aware, Jim Jones is probably one of the nicest guys on the face of the earth, um, and has been really good to me and basically anyone, especially in the Rome community. Uh, so if you are at the Rome Braves games and you see Mr. Jones, make say kind words to him. But external from all that. Um, Give me a player on the Rome Braves roster by the end of the year. Not so you can't you can't treat with the the, the promotions of like Contreras and Waters. Okay. Uh, yeah. There's a dark horse prospect for you that you could see rising up quickly in 2019. Quickly? Hmm. I have a guy oh, that I, mean, I like. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, okay. What I'm trying to think. Well, he said end of the year because yeah. Noah did go up, mm-hmm. so he doesn't count. Um, Tarnock was still there. I, I yep. like Tarnock, but, you know, but at the same time, I do think he probably ends up being a reliever. Although he is, there is more left unwritten about him as a, I mean, left unsaid yet or left unknown yet about him as a pitching prospect than almost anyone because he is so young to the process. So, I mean, I, I, I probably, kind of feel like I have to go with him just because, I mean, a lot of the other guys, I got very mixed reviews, 
You know, I mean, you can find guys who like uh, Ramos's bat to an extent, but not enough, you know, because he's kind of limited, you know, other in other ways. Um, you know, I'm trying to think the other pitchers. I, I, I will mean, say you know, that I think Tarnock is a, a great pick, if for no other reason that, like, he's not quite grown into his man body yet. When I saw him, oh, when, I, oh. when, when, when I saw him in, uh, in rookie ball in the GCL, Real skinny, scrawny guy. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, okay. I mean, that's the guy who the you know the Braves picked, and I was I was intrigued to see him. And you know, people talked about it, they liked his stuff. When I saw him at Rome, he's starting to get like looks like real athleticism, kind of like that almost like Greek god type shape type shape to him. And I'm intrigued by him. Another guy that I like a lot, but I know why people may not be as high on him right now is Jesse L. De La Cruz, because to start the year, yeah. his stuff looked great. Um, mm-hmm. and then, the, but the, then the injury bug bites and, you know, the, the curveball didn't look quite as sharp when he came back and the stuff wasn't quite as good, but he's a guy that I'm really interested to see in 2019. Just kind of see there, how there's, a, there's, there's definitely upside there. Um, that kind of leads to, cause you've seen like the, the, the biggest question I have, and they do not need it anytime soon, but the, the question I'll pose to you as we kind of wrap up is. If you had to pick a middle infield prospect in the Braves system, okay, that you could say like that guy's going to be a useful big leaguer. Is there someone that you'd be confident in even saying? Okay, a that's u- to me. That's a, a useful. That's a, where it gets a useful everyday player. Every okay, I wouldn't even go that far. A useful like three hundred plus at bat guy. Okay. Uh, I could I could see a world where like a peak outcome is like Ray Patrick Ditter kind of gets there as like kind of a utility guy that gets a bunch of at bats, but I don't think that's a great outcome. I like Riley Delgado more than I probably should, but all the guy does is hit, and he really feels his position well. True, being, uh, he's not going to ever hit for power. Don't ever hope for it. It's just never going to happen. I, I would agree that he would be the guy. I would say too is. And no, but I'll say this. I don't know if he's a top 30 prospect. So that kind of, you know, like, I don't know if I finish the 30, if he's going to be in it or not. Well, and that kind of when, sums up like, just like it is a thin position right now. Well, I, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, and having 20 starting pitching prospects that, you know, clog things up and make things a little more complicated too. Well, all right, JJ, I appreciate you so much for coming on. Uh, I always love talking to you baseball or just any and all things. Um, before you go, please let the people know what what you're working on right now and when they can find your work and how to get it. Uh, so, yeah, so BaseballAmerican.com, you know, we really appreciate, you know, we have, uh, I know a lot of Talking Shop, uh, uh, you know, readers slash listeners who subscribe, and we really appreciate that. I mean, that's that's how we do what we do. Um, you know, so thank you for that. If you haven't, you know, you, you can subscribe there. Uh, we can do it, you know, by the month. You can do it by the year. You know, save money. You can do it by the year, all that. But uh, but uh, also beyond that, um, we have the Baseball America Prospects Handbook coming out. You can order it now. The cool thing, if you order it from us, is is we're working on the supplement this year, where we've done the 31st prospect in the past. We're tweaking it this year, and what we're going to do is highlight other players who could play in the majors in 2019. So, you know, so basically, 
in the world now where a lot of relievers come up. So we're going to give you some info on some of these relievers who maybe they don't crack the 30, but they still you should know about them. Or, you know, uh, you know, if there's, again, the Braves aren't a perfect example of this, but if you've got a catcher who's going to be in AAA but could get up this year, guys like that. So we're, we're trying to dig that a little deeper uh, for the supplement if you order from Baseball America. And the other thing is, is we've got another book that's actually out uh, you might even see it so far, you know, already at your Barnes and Noble, you get it on Amazon, you get it in our place called Before They Were Stars. And what we did with that is it is a book of scouting reports from Baseball America uh, of big league stars, you know, on their way up. And then we used art of them when they were, you know, on their way up. So, you know, Chippers and I mean, there's a lot of Braves in there. Chippers in there, Glavins in there, Maddox is in there. Uh, Smoltz in there, guys like that. And so what you're getting is is you're getting scouting reports either when they were amateurs going into the draft or when they were the number one prospect in the Braves system or the number five prospect in the Carolina League or, or things like that for I think it's 120-something uh, big league stars from the Baseball America era. So you'll have some guys from the 80s, but mainly guys from the 90s and the aughts. Um, you know, and then basically Mike Trout's of the world are kind of like the, the most recent guys in there. So I think it's a really kind of cool book, and I think a lot of people really enjoy it. It's a little, you know, uh, I think the photos in it also are, are make it a lot of fun, too, because it's kind of fun to to remember seeing, uh, you know, baby-faced, uh, I think Craig Kimbrell, if I remember right, we've got kind of like a baby-faced Craig Kimbrell and, and uh, guys like that where it's like, oh, you know, you forget like what they look like when they were on their way up. That's awesome. I'm actually I don't I I I I buy the handbook each year. I'm gonna have to find this other book now uh, to kind of add it to the the library of you know things that I don't have space for <laughs> as it is. Um, uh, but seriously, guys, subscribe to Baseball America. I, I we have been overwhelmed over the last few years, especially since I've been running the minor league side of things. Uh, how much love and attention that Braves fans have been giving to the minor league work that we've been doing, and it's just continued to build and build. But if Full in, in full disclosure, we could not do what we do without Baseball America being what it is right now, because we can only be in so many places and watch so much baseball. And Baseball America has an entire staff that's dedicated to not only watching as much baseball as humanly possible. There's a few members of their staff that I'm pretty sure never see their homes. Um, I'm not going to name their names, but they're pretty, on the road a lot. Pretty, you know, yeah. I mean, one of them used to work with you guys, so you know. Uh, Carlos Galazzo, he's uh, you know, he, he's manning that draft draft coverage, and and I love Carlos. Awesome, by the way. Oh, and I got to catch up with him at the Braves playoff game that he went to. Uh, I ran into him there, and that was a, that was a good time. It was good seeing him. Um, but other than the fact that a talking chop alum graces the halls of Baseball America. We could not do the work that we do without the, all the work that they do, not only watching the games and scouting them, but getting in touch with other members of the scouting community, not just Braves officials. I've been fortunate enough, I've been around long enough now, where I can talk to a few people and figure some things out. That times a million is what Baseball America does. Just to do a monthly subscription is not a lot of money. You, you, you lose more of, that, more of that more money in your couch each month or buying a couple cups of star of coffee at Starbucks. It's worth the investment and it supports a lot of really great people. So please do so. 
Um, make sure you're keeping an eye on TalkingChop.com. We're going to be covering all these off-season moves. Uh, I don't think that the things are going to be getting any less busy as we go into the winter meetings, and we're going to be doing lots of coverage of that. And once we actually know who's still going to be in the, the Braves farm system at the end of the winter meetings, uh, the minor league staff and I are going to be working on getting our own top 30 prospect list out there where we can put ours out. And then, you know, who knows, J.J. might take the opportunity to yell at us about how wrong we were about ours. Uh, seems fair is fair. Uh, J.J., always a pleasure talking to you my friend it's an absolute joy uh, and until next time guys we'll see you next week and i promise you'll have brad back and you won't have to deal with me thanks